0: Hi, this is David Flowers, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Good evening, Grantham Church, and friends, if you're visiting with us, welcome. My name is David Flowers. I'm a senior pastor here at Grantham, and we're so glad that you chose to join us for this special service. As Christians, you know, we believe that God created everything that we see and can't see. God is the reason that anything exists at all. Think about this. The Bible says that it was out of nothing that God created the cosmos, which science tells us expanded from an infinitely hot and dense single point about 13.8 billion years ago. Think about this. He is the one that made a universe that operates according to observable and testable laws. God is the divine mind behind the mathematical languages of calculus, physics, astrophysics, all of these things that help us to make sense of the universe empirically. He created subatomic particles like protons, electrons, Neutrons that make up the atoms, which along with gravity make possible the very fabric of space and time. He made the stars, pulsars, quasars, black holes, and whatever dark matter and dark energy is, he made that too. In fact, whatever humanity learns and discovers in the future about our observable universe We believe as Christians, it will be a discovery of God's handiwork. He is the one who made it all. He set life into motion and he sustains it by his eternal word. Of course, the God who made the world is transcendent, right? He's outside of creation, which is why naturalism that refuses to acknowledge that there are other avenues to gaining human knowledge can't lead you to an encounter of the transcendent God but only to understand the way his creation operates. So unless you're willing to concede that truth can be found outside of what science can observe, you're unfortunately locked into a naturalist room with an artificial ceiling that doesn't allow you to transcend the stuff that God made and to know the one who made it. And so what happens with an increasing number of people today is that they, they rise up to meet this artificial ceiling and then they stop there. And since they've made their, their home, or we say their religion, it's a, it's a real thing, scientism. Within the confines of science, they must then settle for an agnostic view of God. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago in our Advent series, if you're with us, you remember this. I recently watched and then I went back and re-watched a documentary on Netflix that's called A Trip to Infinity. The show explores the concept of infinity, what it is, how it works, and where we can find it. It's through creative animation and interviews with theoretical physicists, particle physicists, mathematicians, cosmologists, and a couple of philosophers were thrown in there. The documentary explores this mind-bending reality of infinity, and then it points out the futility of trying to understand this paradox within nature. As I said before, I enjoyed much of the documentary, but, you know, this show is representative of how naturalism creates this artificial ceiling— And when you're not willing to allow truth to be discovered apart from, let's say, mathematics and scientific laws, then you must come to narrow, naturalistic conclusions about who we are, why we're here, and where things are going. And this creates all sorts of problems as it relates to understanding human love, beauty, truth, hope, justice, and let's say a justice in the future even, the struggle between good and evil and all of those things. And so as much as I liked the show, it left me extremely frustrated. I said before, it became increasingly obvious that they weren't going to talk about God, sort of like they don't talk about Bruno, right? We, we just don't go there in these kinds of shows. They weren't going to consider metaphysics. They weren't going to consider theological perspectives. They weren't going to let the mystery and the signposts within creation lead them to the transcendent. Why? Why? Because naturalism doesn't allow for the transcendent and the divine. It doesn't allow you to encounter the infinite God. Of course, that's where my thoughts went with the very opening of the show, because it begins with various scientists talking about the first time they could recall thinking about infinity, and they were all children. Maybe you can recall that first memory. Then my thoughts immediately went to my own childhood memory, and I was sitting actually in church. As a kid in a pew, looking up at the ceiling, sitting there and thinking about this mind blowing truth, I remember it. I remember like it was yesterday, thinking to myself God is infinite and eternal, He has no beginning and He has no end. You might just get this image of like a computer right, starting to smoke. I mean, that was what my, my brain was doing. That's what, that's what happens to us when we try to, we try to take in this truth. But on this trip to infinity, this ship of imagination, it just never goes there. And unless you count the one passing comment from a cosmologist close to the end of the show, he said, he said this. I believe that there are things that our minds can't know but they are real and they do exist. If we want to call that the infinite, if we want to call that spirit, if we want to call that God, whatever you want to call that thing, I believe that thing is for real, but not knowable. My friends, we are here on Christmas Eve to celebrate how the infinite God became finite flesh. And also to remember that the scriptures tell us that while God is transcendent, he is simultaneously imminent. And what that means in Christian theology is this, that God is knowable, that God is perceivable, that God can be experienced. And this is what the belief in the incarnation is all about. God did not create and then step away. Rather, he created and he stepped down into our good but broken world that needs to be liberated from its bondage to decay. And he revealed himself uniquely, as we've been singing about this evening, by sending his son to be Emmanuel, God with us. Listen to what the disciple John says in the prologue of his gospel. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word Was God. Now you may recognize that beginning. It sounds a lot like Genesis 1 1, doesn't it? And John did that on purpose. (laughs) In the beginning was the Word. The Word, the Logos, has both Hebraic and Greek meaning. In Hebrew, the Word is God's wisdom, the Word is the personification of Torah, right? In Greek, the Word referred to perfect, divine, universal power. The word is reason the word is rationality the word is intelligibility and then he says in verse 6 he says there was a man sent from god whose name was john he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe all might believe he himself was not the light he came only as a witness to the light. And you, of course, saw verses 3 through 5 there. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 9 he says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. And then he says this in verse 14, the word became flesh. Listen to that, folks. The infinite God became finite flesh, and he made his dwelling among us, The Greek there that John uses takes us back to the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. That word for tabernacled, he tabernacled with us. You see, John wants to give us this idea that this tabernacling presence that God had as he roamed around with his people in the wilderness, this God has become human flesh in Jesus to be God with us in our own wilderness. We've seen his glory the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Truth for those lacking knowledge of God. Truth who lack knowledge of God's grace. For those who recognize their own sinfulness, the Lord has come for us. And then lastly, in verse 18, John says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Now you may be thinking, no one's ever seen God, but what about all those people in the Old Testament? You see, these Old Testament visions and experiences were they were just shadows. They were just glimpses of God. They weren't the full picture. Again, this is what we testify to as Christians. Jesus has exegeted God. That's what, he, what John says when he's made him known. He has exegeted, he has translated, he has interpreted God for us. He shows us what God is really like. You can think of it this way. Jesus is God's selfie. This is the reason for the incarnation Not that we get up to that artificial ceiling and say, well, if there is a power like that, he's unknowable, and we say no. Christmas says no. God has made himself known in Christ. And we must start with Jesus and read backward into the Scripture to understand it properly. And let's be clear. Jesus has made God known in his life, in his death, and his resurrection. And this is the gospel. The infinite God who came to us as Christ in a manger, lived obediently unto death, took our sins upon himself, and by his resurrection, not only conquered the grave, but get this, he married the infinite with the finite forever. He married the infinite with the finite forever. In other words, Christ has shown us where the entire universe Is going. And when he comes again, God will do for creation and for all who believe what he has done for Jesus. He will make all things new, and then we will forever share in his eternal nature. If you think about that, listen then to these words, all the saints and the sinners in the room tonight. I invite us to hear the good news in these familiar verses in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, For God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This infinite life, this eternal life of God. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Brothers and sisters, as we prepare to light our candles in just a moment and then sing joy to the world this joy that we have in a cosmic king, I encourage you to make this personal tonight. Whoever you are, maybe the disciple who's coasting along in faith or the one who's struggling tonight to believe. Or maybe you're the naturalist, right? You've, you've accepted that worldview and, and you're hitting up against that artificial ceiling and you're feeling discontented and maybe dissatisfied with that if you're honest, wanting more, then know this. The infinite God has sent his son for you to know him and his love for you this Christmas. This is the good news. You know, A.W. Tozer once said, an infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. He does not distribute himself that each may have a part, but to each one he gives all of himself as fully as if there were no others. This is what God can do. Folks, he came for us. He came for you. The story didn't happen a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It happened in real time on planet Earth in a spiral galaxy which we call the Milky Way. And what happened in that humble, seemingly insignificant, smelly stable almost 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem ensures us that our existence isn't some fluke of nature occurring in a cold and different universe where justice will never be served. It tells us that we're not alone, that we're not forgotten, It says that though we may be small and we may be insignificant or we think that we are, we actually are not. That's because through Jesus we know that we're loved beyond anything that we could ever imagine or dream. If we can open up our hearts to the Christ this Christmas Eve. That is why we've gathered tonight. That is why we choose to believe in the gospel against the other narratives that have artificial ceilings. We've come here to touch the divine, to transcend the earthly realm, to know the God of the universe. May the spirit of the infinite God help us to receive the mystery and the wonder of Christmas this evening. Let's pray together. Father, We believe that this is the gospel. We believe that this is why we've gathered this evening. Holy Spirit, will you help us to make it personal right here and right now. May we sense your spirit at work. May we hear your voice. May we sense your presence. That you love us. You've not come to condemn us. You've come to save us. Lord, wherever folks may be in this room, we invite you, Lord. We invite your presence into the situation. Meet us here, Lord. Help us to know the truth and the beauty of this message, which we call the gospel. For it's in Christ's name that we pray and all God's people said, amen.